Welcome to Nerds at the Round Table, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. I'm Dwayne. And I'm Sammy. And this week we've got a very special episode. It's Valentine's Day. Woohoo! And we've decided to do a really Jamie, heartwarming, Jamie, hold smalty... Up, hold. Jamie, what? Jamie, Sam, I love you guys. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I, I'm feeling the lovey-dovey feelings too, and that's why we picked this like Hallmark special type, um, or did we? What are we watching, guys? Gross point blank. You have <laughs> dramedies. <laughs> You have dramas, comedies, you have romantic comedies, you have dark comedies, but this is a dark romantic comedy. I love this movie so much. Uh, this movie has so many of my favorite things in it. You have assassins, you have 80s, you have Dan Aykroyd, you have music by Joe Strummer of The Clash. All original music. Joe Strummer. You have half the Cusack family. <laughs> Probably more than half. You have John and John. Yeah, this movie is so much fun. Yeah, I'm willing to bet. I mean, there's a lot of podcasts now. I'm willing to bet we're the only podcast doing gross point blank for a Valentine's Day episode. <laughs> <laughs> so there's your exclusive, guys. There's your exclusive. But you know, some things we don't want to keep exclusive, some things we like to maybe get off our chest, let our friends know about, and maybe you guys could integrate this into your romantic weekend coming up. I don't know what the other guys have. I don't even know how well mine will fit in here. (laughs) But I think it's time that we let our fans know about some things we've been enjoying by keeping it 100. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. All right, who wants to go first? Uh, hey, what, let, let me go first and get out of the way because I didn't think to do a Valentine's themed one, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't either. Set off a best. Okay. Um, well, mine will be really fast, and so um, here we go. Um, so I've been revisiting uh, sort of the early or like, or like older superhero movies recently. And I went back to watch X-Men First Class uh, this week. And I've always said that it's my favorite X-Men movie, but I hadn't watched it in a couple of years. And so I went back. It's even better than I remembered. Mm-hmm. Um, except the action. Whoever was in charge of the, uh, you know, the uh, choreography for the fighting and some of the effects... Maybe that's why I was a little better in Days of Future Past. I suspect they changed who that was. <laughs> um, but the acting is, with a very few, very notable exceptions, the acting is fantastic. And, and setting it in the 60s with the younger, groovy Xavier was, was a brilliant idea. Um, and the drama between Professor X and Magneto is just fantastic. And you can't, I, I can't take my eyes off a scene that has Fassbender and McCoy, uh, McAvoy in the scene together. I just, those two guys are just special together. And um, so my recommendation this week is X-Men First Class. I have no way to connect that to Valentine's Day. Sorry, guys. <laughs> well, Jamie, I'll, second, I'll uh, connect it to Valentine's Day for you. And I second that emotion. 
<laughs> so I'll jump in here next, Sammy, if it's okay with you. I'm yes, kind of locked and loaded. Uh, and uh, okay, I am going to keep mine kind of on brand. This isn't really Valentine's Day, but it is epic. So hopefully you're having an epic date or an epic romance. You're having an epic relationship with someone. But I've been uh, spending some time with uh, the soundtrack to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And I just want to bring some attention to Howard Shore. His work on that is phenomenal. I mean, I mean, as far as getting a feel for this, you're talking about John Williams-esque scope here. But, you know, the cool thing as you look into this that Howard Shore did is he didn't score the movies. He scored the stories in the book. He, he, he read the book and wrote the music. And then when Peter Jackson would present him with scenes – he would plug them in and make them fit there. So all of uh, you know Howard Shore's three soundtracks to the Lord of the Rings trilogy there, I'm going to just, if you guys haven't checked it out, give it a listen. Awesome. And I those concur. are amazing, yes. And that's, a, that's an easy connection. The, uh, you know, the Aragorn-Arwen romance, that's epic. It's a good oh, Valentine's yeah. Day connection, yeah. Better than what I had. <laughs> That's not one fucks in a relationship in that whole movie. <laughs> this is true. Okay, Sam, what happened All right. this week? So for my keep it at 100, I have, I'm back on brand this week, and I'm going to recommend a podcast, specifically the DC Daily Podcast. And as our listeners know, I was on board with the DC Universe streaming service from the word go. And the service uh, each day of the week provides a little news talk show called DC Daily, which has now launched into their own podcast that extends the content of uh, into two weekly podcast episodes. Uh, the Tuesday podcast is an interview, and the Friday podcast is a review of the week. Uh, so it's a great way to keep up with both what's on the service as well as what's in the DCU itself. So if uh, you're interested in podcasts, want to keep up with um, DC Universe without maybe subscribing, uh, I would check out the DC Daily Podcast. Okay. All right. Sam, keeping it on brand. The focus of this episode um, is gross point blank. And so got some opening thoughts and grades, Dwayne? Uh, yes, entirely. This movie, uh, as I was alluding to earlier, is so much fun. Just this dark existential crisis of a comedy romance. Uh, you know, John Cusack, you know, in love with Mimi Driver. He's a assassin for hire. You have Dan Aykroyd as uh, his competition who's trying to form a union. So, I mean, how hilarious is that? <laughs> and their interactions... Uh, Jeremy Piven is a highlight of this movie to me. I was conflating Jeremy Piven. Um, I think it was in the movie Singles, where he's the store, where he's the the checker, the store clerk, uh, ringing up the guy. And he's talking about how much fun they had on the radio. I was conflating that role with his role in this, where he's the real estate agent who gets high. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I was a little bit confused as I was watching this uh, again. Uh, but you know, quickly combine and 
there's just so much fun to be had in this movie. So much absurd context and scenes. Um, this movie, to me, is a solid A. Um, not an A+. Plus, not even an A-. minus. I'm going to give this a solid A. It's written so smart. Uh, it, it, it makes you think about things. And the characters are so hilarious. I love it. All right. Sammy, where are you sitting, man? So, so you know, mirroring a lot of what, what Dwayne said in terms of what the movie is, I agree completely. Uh, but as far as grade, I went A minor. I'm, I, I marked it down just a little bit. Okay. And we'll explain why. So. All right. Um, I'll, I'll waffle it a little bit, um, but I still went B+. Plus. Uh, this is a good movie. It's extremely strange. <laughs> This is very strange. This is a movie entirely set in left field. They never leave to stay in left field the whole time. (laughs) Um, But it's funny. It's it's dark. I mean, there's some grim humor in here, but it's 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 a very funny movie. Um, And there's a reason it's a B plus. We'll we'll get to that too. All right, right, guys. You want to highlight some fans? Let's fan. Marshall University's premier pop culture convention is back. HerdCon 2020, March 14th, 2020, with special guest Bo Smith, writer and creator of Wine on Earth and Huntington Native. Come and enjoy pop culture herd style, March 14th, 2020, at Marshall University. Find us on Facebook or Google HerdCon 2020 for more info. All right. Um... Sammy, you want to go first? Sure. Okay. Yep. I'll, I'll, I'll take I'll take the first fan. So, um, you know, watching this movie, you know, one of the things I was really interested in and kind of brought me straight in was this idea of this once very capable assassin is having an existential, <laughs> almost midlife crisis in which he is questioning everything. And in all honesty, the best actor they could have got to play neurotic is John Cusack. So he, you know, my fan is he plays this neurotic character so well. And we meet him at the point where nothing is going right. Everything goes wrong, starting with, you know, we don't get to see the dog. But so, the assassination attempt when he's trying to drop the poison of the heart attack to when he, he messes up the, you know, the, the doesn't stop the hit on the, you know, the, the, the guy from the other country that I can't remember exactly what his role was, but he's just messing up. And what I love about it is even though this is Cusack playing neurotic, this is an assassin, um, he really makes Martin Blank so relatable. I think every one of us has had that moment in our job where we're just like, oh, my gosh, why am I doing this? You know? <laughs> um, and I think it's telling that his surname is Blank because that to me that tells a lot about his personality and who his character is. And to me that goes right back into this crisis he's having. So that's my big fan. All right. Um, well, I'm going to go a very different direction for, for my fan. Um, mine is – I don't know how, quite how to phrase it. I couldn't think of a way to say this succinctly, but I'll, I'll just I'll I'll do at it, I guess. Um, it's all the side characters and little side moments. Um, there's a lot of people who are like 
like, I know that guy, or I know that lady, there's so many of them, and they all have something interesting to do. Like, even, like, Jenna Elfman has that little scene where she's a lady who had a near-death experience and is in the, the, the neck brace. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's like, what, 45 seconds? It's hilarious. You've got an actor as good as Alan Arkin as this, you know, this, you know, this full of discomfort and fear psychiatrist who's just trying to get Blank to leave him alone. Um, Joan Cusack is being her brilliant, weird self. And then Jeremy Piven, Jeremy Piven tries so hard to steal this movie. I mean, he's like an eyelash away from taking this entire movie away from the main cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and the strange scene with his old teacher, Mrs. K. <laughs> it's just so many little strange moments with these side characters. I just, I love that they made room for that in the movie. Um, that's what I get the kick out of the most as I watch Gross Point Boy. Dwayne, what's your, what's your fan? Cool. Well, Jamie, you sort of uh, you sort of stole my fan there, um, and I think what you were really getting at was the relationships, uh, you know, that that this network of characters has. They interact so well with each other. They they all have a very developed sense of who their character is, how it fits together in this strange world, and they still make it not work. <laughs> You know, just because that's what these characters do, they just they just don't quite fit together. They just don't quite work, and that is my biggest fan. Uh, you know, is is these relationships, especially with all the side characters. Uh, you know, from uh, you know uh, Joan Cusack buying the bullets <laughs> at the Listen beginning of the movie. And then a few minutes later, she's on the phone with a, a, a family friend or relative, and she's telling me, you know, it's it's not going to be boring. It's a base of soup is the chicken, carrots, and celery. <laughs> you add the flavors later. Hold on a minute. Let me take this call. And then she just proceeds to just manhandle this, this you know, ammunitions vendor over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and then goes right back into the soup recipe. I mean, how crazy. I love it. And you know, and when and from the moment when he tells her, she, you know, when he calls her up and she says, he says, "What are you doing now?" She says, "I'm, you know, I'm closing down the office, sir." You know, she's throwing everything the pile of bricks, <laughs> and he has a reach under the desk to get the stack of money, her bonus, and she goes, yeah. "Woohoo!" You know, <laughs> I mean, there is so many just beautiful little side moments in here, but you know, since since you kind of took my fan, I did elaborate on it. Here. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead with another fan, and it's the music. It's the it's the music. Oh, yeah. It's the soundtrack. All of these bands from from the '80s and '90s, all of the situations, uh, you know, of Joe Strummer being an, a great instrumentalist, having the music through here. Uh, that's that's going to be my my other fan right there. Is the music? Well, you know, when you talk about all these little side characters, they feel real. They feel like people that you have met that have been thrown into this strange mix. Talk about soup, right? So it's, it's almost like throwing everything in the kitchen sink that, that you know, into this one mixture to make this crazy soup of a movie. Um, and I think that's what makes that so much fun. I mean, the teacher, even, even the, the, the uh, attendant. The security guard. The security guard. <laughs> the, the, oh, gosh. The, the, the attendant at the, at the Quickie Mart convenience store. You know, oh, man, now i got to fudge do that. Now i got to find another job. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it's those types of things, I think, that, that make this movie 
stand out to me. I, so I, I agree with what you guys are saying there. And now, now I bet you got a kick out of the scene with the teacher. I mean, just being a teacher yourself. I mean, are there oh, students yeah. you would like to treat that way? <laughs> well, well, you know, there are those students that try to act that way. When, when she says, you know, Martin, you, you, you are the one of the only students that can make that not sound like you're trying to kiss up. You know, I've had students like that. Well, Mr. Maynard, I like your tie. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, well, guys, I think we've gushed a little. It's probably time to break out the paint. Um, I'll go first because um, I've got a big one, and it's not what you guys think. We've talked a lot about off the air about this. Um, I've got a problem with this movie. Um, when I watch it, I enjoy it immensely. Five minutes after it's ended, I can't remember what happened in it. <laughs> this movie just doesn't <laughs> stick with me. I just remember enjoying it. I don't remember what happens. <laughs> If I hadn't made my notes for this episode as soon as I was done, I would have already forgotten things. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it just, it's, it's just so, something doesn't stick with me. Like I was thinking today, like going through, like making sure I had my awards right. I wanted to change the frame. Like, I don't know. I can't remember now. <laughs> it just, it just doesn't stick with me. And that's, that's my biggest pain. My biggest problem. It's hard for me to recommend this movie. Cause like I, I, just, I have vague memories of really having a great time with it, but I can't, I mean, it just doesn't <laughs> stick with me. I can't quite put my finger on why it just makes it makes a very small impression on me. Okay. Well, uh, well, I'll go next. My uh, my pen is similar to yours, Jamie, and I guess it has a little bit to do with the storytelling. I'm not sure if uh, I got lost in thought dealing with some of the existential things, you know, that that these characters are dealing with, or if I was had just missed it all together. Like, I didn't remember, uh, you know, the dog. I knew there was a situation with the dog, but I, it, I it had lost me until this viewing. Um, you know, uh, Hank Azaria and the uh, other government agent. Yeah. I, I had forgotten that it was Grocer who had, point, who had put them on, you know, Martin Blank's tail. You know, that he got upset because they pulled out the, the Detroit job from under him and so he he calls in and and uh, you know rats out uh, Martin Blank, you know. But there's a lot of little details like that uh, of characters and where they come from, where they go, that I had probably forgotten. You know, it probably was with me on another viewing of it. And when I was watching it, you know, and I watched it twice in the last couple of days. Uh, it's a pretty quick watch, actually. Uh, yeah. Um, I, oh, that's how, that's how that's connected. You know, so yeah, just, just it, those it little paced dots. really well. Yeah. Just those little dots were, were left without for me. Well, I think, I think it might be just, there's, it feels like there's like skits and there's not like a, like it doesn't tie together super tightly. And so I enjoy the little pieces, but the, the overall doesn't stick with me. So what you're problem. saying is this movie has the, uh, the, uh, Christmas vacation syndrome. Maybe, but I like yeah. this more. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy, what's your opinion? All right. So I think my, the, my pen for this movie, I think it's the same type of thing. My biggest problem I have with a lot of romantic comedies in terms of plot and the way they handle relationships. You know, I know you've got a time frame that you've got to get these characters from point A to point B. And you tend to make some leaps in logic. But I think sometimes 
this movie especially, there's this big emotional arc that just doesn't feel like it has enough time to grow. You know, where Martin is at the beginning versus the end, where, um, let's see, what was her name? Was it Debbie? Debbie. Yeah. And I always want to call her Danny for some reason, but so Debbie, <laughs> so Debbie at the beginning and, and where she gets to in the end, I think we have to jump so much and so quickly. Like you said, this movie, you know, kind of is a quick watch. Um, I think relationships don't get a chance to develop in a very natural way in a movie runtime. And like I said, sometimes that's a com complaint I have about romantic comedies in general, but I think this movie really suffered from that. Because it just got weird and quirky and strange in so many places with this their relationship. Well, I think they tried to cover up for that by making Debbie being a weirdo. Because like right. the second she sees him for the first time in ten years, the first response is to kiss him, not you know kick him somewhere. You know, right? Um, I mean, but you know, like, she also that, talks about to forgive and forget, and then just accept, and then she's also talking about all this weird meditation and things that she's getting into as well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, she is kind of strange, but yeah, that is a thing that that is weird in this movie. The the pacing with the way that these relationships develop and fulfill themselves. You know, it's like it's almost like that she's ready to take him back immediately. Well, let's make him jump through some hoops and be weird to him. You know, right. and then you know he has you know all of these back and forths until he has his kind of epiphany. You know, near the near the end. All right. Well, and two, like the, uh, I think the thing that bothers me the most with the, with the, the Debbie Martin, um, the biggest leap is like she goes from being horrified in her house that he's this professional killer, and then like five minutes later they're in the car skipping town together. I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't know that any yeah. human would do that. <laughs> yeah. Here, make this gun work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is that yeah. kind of deal. <laughs> Oh, mercy. Yep. All right, guys. We've been kind of big picture so far. You want to get in the nitty-gritty and give out some awards? Let's go for it. Graphically Novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically Novel. Three brothers who like each other but love comics. All right, our first award this week is, you know, as always, best performance, and um, I want to go last. So, Dwayne, what's your best performance? Oh, there are so many to pick from in this movie, but a performance that has always stuck with me um, every every time I've watched this movie, every time I think about this movie, is John Cusack's secretary. Uh, she just is so crazy. She is so I love I, I, I love her the way she speaks and just kind of <laughs> squints her eyes and she just goes kind of weird. Yeah. You know, Sir, may I come in? <laughs> yeah. She's got one of the most interesting faces. I mean just oh, yeah. yeah. And voices. I mean, she just does so much with her voice. I mean, she's a great voice actor from, you know, these animated series. She's all over Netflix. She's uh, all over all this stuff. But, yeah, I love her character. So much fun. So much fun. That's a good um, one. 
Yeah, Sam, you got. All right, so best performance for me. I, I agree completely that uh, Joan Cusack does great, but I think someone else who really does an excellent part for this to be such a minor role is Alan Arkin as mm. Doctor Oatman. I mean, he delivered the lines that he delivers when he interacts with Martin. He's just trying to stay as logical as possible <laughs> and get this over with because he is scared to death. You know, <laughs> when Cusack's like, maybe I know where you live. See, see, there you are. There's what you did. You know, that's what I'm talking about. You know, that now has frightened me. You know, <laughs> so. And, and he couldn't yeah. remember Dana's name either. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, but Alan Arkin, I think in this, this part does so well. And it just makes me laugh. And he plays it so straight, but it just works great. All right, so for best performance, I'm going to shock my co-hosts. I'm going to say John Cusack. Oh, my. I think he is. (laughs) Um, Okay, the man only has two gears. Um, Bored and mildly annoyed. That's all he's got. (laughs) That's the entire range the man has. Okay, okay, Um, Jamie, how do you usually describe him? I need to hear it. (laughs) John Cusack is human vanilla. Yes! My feeling for years has been he doesn't bring much to the movies he's in, but he doesn't ruin them either. He's just there. Um, But in this movie, those two gears he has, bored and mildly annoyed, are perfect for this character. Um, If we didn't have that kind of guy playing Martin Blank, this movie would not work. And so this is the perfect John Cusack movie. There's not another one, (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. Um, but as this depressed hitman who's having an existential crisis, those two gears, perfect. And so, and it's just, this is the role he was born to play. Whatever that may say about him, this is the role he was born to play. <laughs> well, I'm surprised you gave that award, but I'm glad that a main <laughs> character got a best performance award. Yeah, that. yeah, there's that's so true. Many side characters who could have just, just walked away with that. But, you know, there's so many uh, you were referring to earlier about this kind of being a series of almost sketches that are really well connected. So what is uh, your best scene, Jamie? Um, I love the shootout at the end. I mean, nobody in that scene knows how to use a gun. I mean, it's I mean, you can tell these are comedic actors. They don't know what they're doing. But it's just, I love that he goes from downstairs fighting with Dan Aykroyd, and they're having their big argument, and they're doing all of their stuff. But he runs upstairs to do emotional stuff <laughs> with Mini Driver. He runs back and forth. And it's just this hilarious scene with, like, you know, emotional drama, but also, like, the action stuff. I just, I, I love that scene. I, it makes me laugh the whole time. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> okay, that's, that's good. I, I, I do not disagree with that. <laughs> Um, You know, I I chose a scene also with with Martin, but I chose one that was just a little bit more subtle. Uh, I love the first time he goes to the recording studio with Debbie, and he's so uncomfortable because his back's to the window, and he tries to close the blinds, and he's still not comfortable. And he switches seats with her when she gets up. And it's just that, that mentality that he's so programmed as a hitman to not leave yourself open and vulnerable. Um, 
And that stands out to me because I used to work with a guy that did that. And I always kind of questioned, dude, what, what's your background, right? Because <laughs> he would never sit with his back to a door or a window. And he would just look at me and go, cowboy mentality. I'm like, okay. But he also has a situation a little bit later when him and her are in the restaurant. And he mm-hmm. keeps looking over his shoulder. She's like, what is yeah. wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so that mildly annoyed worked out really well there. <laughs> well, my best, my uh, best, most favorite scene in this whole movie is when he uh, quote unquote goes home. <laughs> <laughs> his first interaction with the convenience store. And and he, he pulls up to it and you just see him drop his sunglasses and he goes in, he's like, What the heck? And he's and he's like grilling the guy behind the counter. Who are you? How long have you been here? What are you doing here? What's going on here? You know, what what what, what are you doing here? Who's who's the manager? Where do they How long have you been here? You know, how long <laughs> What's it look like? I'm pulling a double, you know. <laughs> but that just you know, and this will lead into another of my awards here in a little bit, but that is my, you know, favorite scene in this whole movie. Just there's so many great ones, but this one always just strikes me. This is not what he was expecting. And he ends the scene with with find my mom. I want my mom, you know. <laughs> All right. For our next award is best character, and man, there's a lot of options. So out oh, of yeah. all of this vast multitude of interesting people, who'd you pick, Sammy? Uh, I chose Marcella, Joan Cusack. Uh, she just has so many great moments, and and like Dwayne said, just her facial expressions, her voice. The way, once again, very similar to what I said about Dr. Oatman, that she tries to play everything so straight – um, you know, she just, I just think she is so good in this and it just makes me laugh so much that I have to give her my best character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I chose a side character as well. I went with Paul Sparecki, uh, Jeremy Piven's character. <laughs> Everything Batman does in this movie is spot on and perfect. It just makes me laugh. The, the 10 years rant in the car. <laughs> the, I mean, <laughs> Him saying hi to Jenny Slater like five times. <laughs> I did his Slater. I did his Slater. I did his Slater. <laughs> Everything he does is absolutely perfect. And he will be showing up again in my awards. He he plays a jerk so well. <laughs> it's too natural. And he, I'll tell you, I've never seen him in a leading role. In, in, except for the movie Smoking Aces. And he plays Buddy Israel Aces, and that movie is chock full of famous people. It's not a family-friendly movie, but if you ever get a chance to watch it, watch it. Smoking Aces, it's it's killer, and he's and he's one of the main guys. But uh, my f- best character, I'm going to give it to Dan Aykroyd's uh, assassin grocer. <laughs> Just this paranoid, <laughs> kind of so weirdo guy trying to pull together <laughs> this family of assassins. It's so ridiculous. And, and you and you truly have, you know, Dan Aykroyd just being as weird as he wants to be, which oh, yeah. is completely weird. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, that's 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 my best. That's my best. Oh, I almost picked the scene where he's explaining who's in the union already to yeah. the blank. It's so crazy. Yeah, it's that. All right, uh, all right. So, best quote, uh, Wayne. What's your best quote, man? My best quote. It's really a small quote in this movie. It's not one of the big existential things until you kind of unpack it a little bit. But it's when uh, Martin is talking to Mrs. K. And the quote actually comes from Mrs. K. And she says, so, you know, after they interact for a while, she says, so where are you off to? He says, I'm going home. And she just says, are you now? And, you know, and it's the whole thought, of, it's the whole, you know, uh, thing that, you know, you can never go home. You, you can't go home. And, you know, whether she knows the situation with the ultimate or not, if she knew that that was his house, you know, and, and he's just being snarky, or if her being the literature, you know, person is, you know, a, a, a adopting and, and latching onto that, you can never go home, you know, uh, yeah. thing here. That really, that just hits me every time. So where are you off to? I'm going home. Or are you now? Yeah, that, I, that's mine. I got the impression that the uh, the fondness in that relationship was strictly one way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't think she liked him at all. No. <laughs> oh. All right, uh, Sammy, what you got? All right. Uh, so we, we've kind of talked a little bit about Jeremy Piven's character, Paul, and I had to go with a scene between him and Martin. And it's during that 10 years rant. OK. <laughs> and Paul just, you know, you know, Martin says, oh, I'm a professional killer. And Paul responds, do you have to do postgraduate work for that or can you just do it right <laughs> and I think that's a running joke through the whole thing. It's a growth he field. He keeps going with everybody. Yeah, that's, that's a growth market. You know, he tells people flat out what he is, and I just don't think they believe him, and they're just responding. You know, and you, and every time he tells somebody he's a professional killer, but but Jeremy Piven just plays that so well. Uh, do you have to have postgraduate work for that, or could you just jump right in? You know, I mean, that's the one that cracked me cracked me up. Well, it makes mm -hmm. sense. I, I didn't. I found this as I was doing research for the podcast. But like, Jeremy Piven and John Cusack went to the same high school. They were friends in high school, huh. and I think it kind of shows how they interact with each other. It's, it's so natural. Yeah. And that's such good chemistry. But I agree. Um, um, I've got a, a weird one. It just struck me as funny. Um, I, if I remember right, like I said, this is already fuzzy in my memory. But I think it's when he's staring in the mirror before he's leaving for the reunion, trying to psych himself up to actually go. And he says, they all have husbands and wives and children and houses and dogs. And, you know, they've all made themselves a part of something. And they can talk about what they do. What am I going to say? I killed the president of Paraguay with a fork. How have you been? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yep. that's great. Makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah. and, that's, well, and that's, you know, just the off of this you know he just said yeah. like oh, this is how weird my life is you know yeah. not yeah. knowing that everybody else's life is really weird just not in the same way but you know speaking of weird things what's the strangest interaction in this movie filled with awkward and strange interactions 
Well, I already spoiled mine a little bit. Um, it's a Piven scene. Okay. And it's in the hallway after he's killed the uh, the little kickboxer guy. And mm-hmm. Piven comes up upon the scene. And just once he once he realizes, like, yeah, you didn't start it, right? Like, you were defending yourself. Like, oh, we're cool. And he just starts rolling up the body in the, in the banner. He's <laughs> just, just, like, just like, help me with this. He just does it. And then it gets pulled down the other banner for him. Helps him cover his feet. Yeah. And just they, they carry the body, like slide it down the banister together. And they go to the boiler room and throw it in the fire. They burn the body together. And he just never bats an eye, just rolls with it. And they're talking about like different stuff while they're doing this. It's so weird. <laughs> I'd forgotten I'd forgotten about that entirely and I couldn't believe how long it kept going on. Yeah, that, that scene was what it just kept rolling. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Dwayne, what do you have, man? Uh, my strangest interaction is going to be between uh, Martin and Debbie's father uh, when when he comes to pick her up for the reunion. Because, you know, he even admits to him as well, well, I'm a professional assassin. It, it doesn't take him serious. Nobody takes him serious. Um, you know, and I couldn't follow the conversation. I didn't know who needed to go next. I didn't know who was, you know, the, the instigator, you know, cause she tells him, my dad's really dying to meet you. And he's sitting there like he could care less. <laughs> no. And, uh, no, Martin just is not knowing quite what to do with himself. But that, uh, that was kind of a strange thing that I, all the other ones were really fun and easy to, to kind of enjoy and laugh at. But that one was really just awkward. Well, and I thought too. There's a, a line that the dad throws in, just a strange line. Like, at, he, like I mean, Martin asked him what he's been up to. He's like, ah, you know, exploiting the oppressed, the usual. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> who says that? Yep. <laughs> oh mercy. Uh, Sammy, what was your strangest interaction? All right. So, you know, I've already kind of talked about the, the weirdness of the relationships between Martin and Debbie in this. So I just I have to go to this the scene where Martin goes to visit Debbie for the first time to try to get her to go out with him. And they're sitting and arguing and she just all of a sudden goes, give me an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it's just like, what? You know, it's like. You you left me in my seven hundred dollar prom dress. You I've not heard from you for ten years. You show up on my you know at my job. Now you show up on my doorstep, and her biggest reaction is to me an airplane. <laughs> it's <just> so weird. <laughs> and I wonder if that was on purpose. Like you know, like uh, you know, for Debbie to react to Martin as quickly as we need her, we need her to. Let's just make her be really weird a couple of times. So it makes sense that she rolls with stuff she shouldn't roll with. Right. So, mm-hmm. so when they're doing their play, I thought, I wonder if there's like an like a reason for this. Or if, I don't know. It's, it, you're right. It's so strange. Yeah. Well, you know, the bed is the magic mattress, you know, the magic carpet. <laughs> magic carpet. Well, I thought they were going somewhere else with that. <laughs> but I, did, I did too. And, yeah. uh, but I, I only liked, he said, what are we going to do if your dad comes in? She said, you can give him one too. <laughs> <laughs> Which I found out, you were talking earlier about the uh, the script being so good. Well, the uh, the director took a really unorthodox um, way of filming this movie. Um, they did three versions of every single scene. And so they did one 
perfectly by the script, like every word perfectly as it's written. And then they did one where they tried to make it a little bit funny. And then they did the bonkers version. And apparently they used the bon- the bonkers version like 75% of the time. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm wondering if the airplane was one of, from the bonkers version. It was one of the bonkers, yeah. I had or if that was it. in the script, yeah. Yeah. All right, so our last award is the biggest laugh. And we've already been laughing a lot because this I was going to say, we've laughed at this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> So I've got I've got a dumb one. Y'all mind if I go first? Go ahead. Yeah, go for it. It's it's dumb. It shouldn't be this funny, but like it's the gunfight in Ultimart. <laughs> He's just in there being angsty again, and the little bitty guy comes in with double Uzis. And he doesn't have like a pistol with a silencer on it. He's got double Uzis. <laughs> and <just started> blasting. <laughs> And then John Cusack, who doesn't really know how to use a gun either, um, is like doing these crazy shots. And then he finds the C4 that looks like a potato at first. <laughs> in the microwave. In the microwave, right? <laughs> and then the conversation he has with the clerk outside after the explosion. It's so crazy. <laughs> just I laugh the whole, from the time I see that little guy holding the double Uzis. I just start laughing at how crazy it is. <laughs> Oh, okay. Dwayne, Dwayne, what's your biggest laugh? Well, that was probably my biggest laugh too. But since you took <laughs> it, I'm going to you know, and and it is a really Sorry. hilarious scene because you have this this massive gunfight, all of this stuff falling to pieces, and the guy still playing <laughs> Doom Two on the on the arcade game you know, with Ace never, of Spades. Never hears anything. <laughs> Yeah, you know, with Ace of Spades blasting in his head. He's Walkman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's the right answer. I'm going to go with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what I had initially. I was going to change it, but no. The more I think about it, the more right it is. I'm glad you backed me up because I felt really dumb picking back. <laughs> I'm like, this can't be the right answer. It's so random and weird. But I'm vindicated now. Thanks, Tori. Oh my. Now, you know, there are just so many great laughs in this. And so the biggest laugh for me, the one I chose is, um, and I think I chose it because like, like I, I told, told you all when we were talking, I've not seen this movie probably since 97 when it first came out. And there's just this one scene, I already think it in my head. I don't remember John Cusack saying it, and he does. So when Marcella walks up and she's got the jacket with all the buttons, <laughs> And he calls her Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> as soon as she's in frame of that thing in my head, I'm going, she's like Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> and he says it. And I like, I started cackling out loud. So uh, that was definitely going to be my biggest slide. That was one of my favorite things in this movie. All the random stuff she's wearing in this movie. Cause everyone, that's the craziest one. But all of her outfits are weird in every single scene. Even Sorry. on phone calls on the same day. Yeah. yeah. She's wearing a different outfit every time. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, she is really, really brilliant in this movie. And there's so many great characters. The only thing, you know, John Cusack really nails the role of Martin Blank. I don't know anybody who could have played it better, except for maybe Keanu Reeves. <laughs> and Jamie, that brings us to our Keanu connection. What do you right. have today, sir? This one was easy. This um, is a softball. Yeah. Well, I wanted it to be Jeremy Piven. Um, just because I loved 
<laughs> it's rolled in this movie, but it wasn't Jeremy Piven. Um, there are a lot of weirdos in this movie, um, but there are different kinds of weirdos, right? There are some people who are off-puttingly weird, um, people you don't want to hang out with. You want to, you know, maybe they stay on the side, other side of the grocery store from you. Um, then there are people who are delightfully weird, um, people I might podcast with. Um, <laughs> those kind of people. But this week's Keanu Connection is one of my favorite weirdos in all of cinema. This actress has largely transitioned to voice acting, but she's appeared in a ton of movies in the 80s and 90s, most memorably for this weirdo in Toys with Robin Williams. And I know it's just me that likes that movie, <laughs> but I love that movie. But most, most importantly for our purposes, Joan Cusack played Jessie the Cowgirl in Toy Story 4, where she was joined by our beloved Keanu as... Duke Boom. <laughs> That's right. And that is our Keanu Canadian. I love Joan Cusack. She's great. Yeah. And I, I wanted it to be Piven, but if it, those are the, I wanted it to be either Piven or Joan Cusack. I wanted it to be one of the two. And yeah, I, Piven so would I, have I, been a great one. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> Yeah, this is the least work I've done on a Keanu connection in a while. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, sure. She, yeah, she's uh, very famous as a Jesse, uh, Jesse yeah. in uh, in uh, yeah, Toy Story, and we do have Keanu coming as Duke Kaboom. So that was our review of Gross Point Blank for Valentine's Day. I hope we've made you laugh. I hope we've made you realize that life is <laughs> worth full of existential dread. <laughs> <laughs> Grabbing something, grabbing something meaningful and making it last. And Jamie, when my time comes, I want a house like this, a wife like you. I think you, you went somewhere different with that. I think the quote was different than me. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, anyway, yeah, so that, that was the, uh, our fun thing. Uh, our next quest, I'm really excited about. Uh, this This movie is near and dear to my heart, being one of my first experiences in cinema. Uh, downtown here in, in one of the local towns with uh, a, a, a great old theater that is no longer uh, intact, but Superman, 1978. The original with Christopher Reeve. Uh, I know there's been other iterations beforehand, but this was my original. They don't series. count anymore. They don't count anymore since this one happened. Uh, so Superman uh, one from 1978. Richard Donner, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Correct. until then, folks. Keep it nerdy. <laughs> <laughs>